0: To welcome you to Alder Assembly of God. We welcome you to what God has in store for us this morning. And I'm looking forward to getting into the Word of God. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. I have a question for you. I've got a pretty good idea of what some of the answers might be. Not, not that we're looking to uh, say the answers out loud. Not that we're looking to uh, necessarily respond out loud. But have you ever... In your life or maybe in a current period of time, have you ever felt like you were at the literal end of your rope? You know that phrase, I'm at the end of my rope, I've had it up to here and I can't take anymore. And there's a whole host of reasons why those things make us feel that way, right? I mean, what do you do when many times we are faced with situation after situation after situation? What do you do when when you face challenges in your home life? What do you do if you face challenges in your job life? What do you do when you face the physical challenges maybe of a worn-out body? Problems at work or too much month left at the end of our money? What do you do when you lose a loved one and are still struggling to maybe escape the pain? What do you do if your heart's broken? Or what if you feel like you're in the midst of a spiritual desert? A lot of different challenges that face you and that face me. But chances are, at some point in our lives, we feel like we've been there. Or we are there. Or maybe in the near future, we're about to get there. We feel like we're at the end of our rope. It feels hopeless, and sometimes we feel helpless. We're taking a look here at 2 Kings chapter 4, and certainly there's all kinds of questions. What do you do about this, and what do you do about that? And we've got lots of challenges, and we've got lots of issues, but the one that can solve the challenges, that can give answers to questions and issues, is the Lord, so, this morning, this is a rather familiar passage of Scripture. And it's about a widow woman and the prophet Elisha. Last fall, we had gone through the prophet Elijah, and Elijah. Anointed Elisha to be that successor, to be that prophet who would continue on and to serve in the power of the Lord. And so we're going to examine a a handful of instances, not necessarily verse by verse of every chapter as we did with Elijah. But some powerful stories of God's power and might and provision and strength. We're going to see this woman who maybe you identify with. An individual who literally was at the end of her rope in a helpless, hopeless situation. But we're going to see how God came through with an incredible provision. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Verse 2, Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Verse 5, she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So it's an an interesting passage of Scripture, a rather well-known passage of Scripture and a miracle of God. One of the things we notice about this is we don't necessarily know this woman's name. Now there's there's a lot of different biblical accounts and and many times we know the names of the men or we we know the names of the women and in this particular case, she's just simply referred to as a widow, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets. There's not a specific name. Now according to Jewish tradition and some of the writings, it was said that she was the wife of the prophet Obadiah. Now, if this is the case, certainly we do not have this specified in Scripture, but if it was the case, we've got maybe a little bit of an idea of why there would be a need in this home. Now, we had covered part of this in our Elijah study, our Elijah series. But Obadiah was known for protecting and providing for quite a few of the prophets. In fact, in 1 Kings 18 verse 4, in response to the wicked, evil, sinful king and queen, King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, Scripture says he took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Now, True, bread and water aren't necessarily the most expensive things. But if this were Obadiah taking care of all these prophets, 100 prophets can eat some bread and water. And so there certainly would be the potential of the financial struggle of taking care of these prophets and, and wanting to oversee these men of God. So that is, that is the Jewish tradition Whether or not that's the case, this widow had huge needs. She's in a pretty devastating place. It's kind of the triple threat. She's facing death and loss. And many individuals, no matter what kind of family member we lose, when we lose a loved one, that's a huge loss. But the loss of a spouse is is pretty massive. So she's facing loss and death. As if that's not enough, as if that's you know, the, the grief that you're trying to go through, she now faces this massive debt on top of death and loss. And the debt is so massive, she's not able to pay. She has nothing with which to give. So that leads to the creditor who's on his way and about to take the boy's and basically use them as slaves to try to pay off this debt. Death. Debt. Despair. I mean, it's not one thing, it's another, and if it's not the first or the second, it's the third. Maybe you've not been in that exact situation, but maybe that describes... Where you've been or where you are, it seems like you just about get one thing taken care of and then you get hit by another whammy. And then you just about have a solution for the second when a third thing just about knocks you off your feet. That's that's where this woman was. So many individuals can identify with where she's at. The feeling of hopelessness the feeling of being powerless or helpless. How in the world do I go through this? I'm trying to sort through my grief and the loss of my husband, but now I'm trying to figure out how to pay off this debt. And more than the money for the debt, I'm trying to say, how do I keep this family, me and my boys, together? She's facing a a pretty impossible situation We're about to see the impossible provision of God. As we kind of walk through her response and God's power and God's provision, I love us to to see a, a handful of situations and a handful of principles I think God will use to equip us for some of those very impossible situations that we face. Maybe you're in the midst of one right now. Maybe you feel as if you've just kind of come out of one, whether that's physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. First thing that we've got to do, the first thing that she did as we take a look is she asked God for help. Now, technically, as as we read through this, she came to the man of God. She came to Elisha and basically said, help. What's interesting, we see what she did, but there's a handful of things she didn't do. And it's a handful of things that maybe you and I might be tempted to do in some of these situations, right? She did not badmouth the creditor. Can you believe this knucklehead? He wants to come and take my boys. Help me, help me. Save me from the bad guy. She didn't badmouth the creditor. We don't see anything about her complaining about her situation. She's not blaming her circumstances. We don't see her shaking her fist at God saying, God, why did you do this? Simply when we see this story, she comes and asks for help. To her credit, she doesn't run away from the situation. She's running to try to find someone who can help. And she finds someone she knows, can take it to the Lord for her. Verse 1, the Bible says she cried out to Elisha. She she referenced who she was. She she referenced this, this husband. She referenced that, that he was honored and respected and revered as, as a man of God. She's saying, I know certainly you and God can help. I'm, I'm in a situation where I need some help. She stated very clearly what was needed and found Elisha who would take it to the Lord for her. Now, God many times is able to instantaneously, and this is what we would prefer, instantly and instantaneously, miraculously meet our need But many times, God meets our needs through other individuals. God meets our needs through maybe the wisdom of other individuals, the connections, the blessings, the provisions, the strength, the guidance, whatever. Many times, God uses other individuals to be a blessing. But when we take a look at her, she she admitted she needs help. She, She came to the source. A man of God who would be able to take this need to the Lord for help. It can be a challenge sometimes admitting that we need help, admitting when we have a problem. Sometimes it's hard to acknowledge that that we, we can't fix it all. Don't we like to be good fixers? When something comes up, I want to try to fix it and and not try to go to this person or that person or this situation or that situation. Let me just do it myself. Some of those words that we said from we little kids, I do it myself. We echo that as we get older many times. And many times we try to face those situations, whatever they are the emotional, the financial, the physical, and we say, how can I do this on my own? Sometimes we we try to hide our situations or try to manage the problems ourselves or almost stick our head in the sands, kind of pretend as if it doesn't exist, pretend as if there's just not really a bad situation. Have we asked God for help? Have we brought our situation to the only one truly able to help? There's a a lot of great people and a lot of great resources that are out there. Sometimes our last resort is to come to God. Because our mind is, I'm going to do it myself. Well, maybe I can't do it, but I think I know someone who does. Maybe this person, maybe that person, maybe this situation will help. And we go through, we exhaust all of our resources, everything from our Rolodex to our cell phone contact list. And then we realize, oh yeah, I've not taken it to God. The one who loves, the one who cares, the one who is powerful and able to help. Do we bring our needs to God? Have we told him what it is, that, that need, that desire in our lives? Have we cried out to him in the midst of this impossible situation that we face? In a sense, that's what the widow was doing. She was calling out to God as she cried out and specified to the prophet, here's the need, here's the situation, here's what we are facing. She needed help. She asked. She took that need and that request to the Lord through someone who could connect to God on her behalf. But secondly, I believe we've got to offer what we have. Offer what we have. It's interesting. Many times when we're hurting, many times when we're kind of in a, a state of need, all we see are the things that we don't have. Many times we can miss out on the blessings that we do have. We get down and discouraged and depressed and consumed by all the things that we don't have. Let me put it to you like this. Have you or someone you know ever experienced this situation? It could be men or women, guys or girls. To stand in front of a closet or stand in front of your dresser drawers, your bureau, and to try to figure out what it is that you're going to wear that day, and you stand there, and you stare, and you stare, and you stare, and you utter those oh-so-popular words, I have nothing to wear. Now, sometimes people might say, well, that's, that's something that a woman might say. Could be. Could be something that a man might say. I know there's been times I stand in front, I slide my little door open. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of shirts. There's t-shirts and long sleeve shirts and and sweaters and hoodies and all kinds of things, sometimes stacked up and and literally falling out of the closet. And I got something in mind that I want to wear, but I I can't really find what it is or where that is. And I'll I'll stare and I admit I've had some of those thoughts. What am I going to wear? Now, if we're being honest, we look at our closet or we look at our dresser drawers or our bureau or wherever we keep our clothes, and as a whole, we're a pretty blessed culture and a pretty blessed society. A couple years ago, going with the the trip to Tanzania and, and just seeing how some of the different individuals and even how some of the different pastors and leaders live. And how blessed we are at our stuff. And yet we can kind of have that thought. Got nothing to wear. What am I going to wear? Sometimes we we tend to overlook all the things that we do have. When we think we're missing out on something that we don't have. The challenge can be. Stop waiting for the stuff we want and start working with what we do have. Now, it was interesting. The prophet Elisha asked what she had. It'd be like asking, well, what do you got to wear? And we, you know, we'll stand in front of our closet and go, oh, I got nothing. Well, I mean, I guess, except for this thing right here. I could probably wear this thing. The prophet asked her, What do you have? What is in your house? What do you have? And she said, nothing. Well, except a small jar of oil. Now, it's not quite the same. Our, Our closets probably have a whole lot more stuff in comparison to the small jar of oil. But to the same degree, many times we overlook what it is that we do have. She says, Listen, I literally have nothing, well, except for the little something that I have. Just that, that little jar of olive oil. Now, in our modern time frame, in our, our modern mindset, we listen to that and we think, wow, she has nothing. She didn't mention a television set. Her cell phone? Her vehicle, her home. She she mentioned a, a small little jar, jar of oil. What in the world would oil be good for? Olive oil was used for many different uses, used in cooking. Used for lamps, used as a moisturizer, used to keep leather pliable, used to keep iron from rusting, used to, keep, uh, to be as an offering to the Lord, used to help anoint people in religious services. This oil was used in a lot of different ways. It's a pretty important thing, she just didn't have very much of it. Now, we all kind of have on our mind, well, how big is a little jar? But just go ahead and imagine in your mind, it's small. It's a, a little jar. We're, we're not talking about, you know, this 50-gallon jug. It might be a, a small little jar, a small little flask. There's just not much there. So she had something, but not much of it. Aren't you thankful for a God who can do a lot with a little? A God who can do much with not much. Whether that's our lives and how God's able to use us, or whether that's to take the little bit that we do have. When we say, God, I don't really have much, but I I guess I've got this. Offer what we do have to the Lord. It's amazing, when we offer what we have, God's able to take that and use that and do some pretty incredible things. Fast forward to the New Testament, right? Remember Jesus teaching and preaching, and he tells his disciples to go give the crowd something to eat. And they're like, we got nothing. Well, I guess we do have a little something. There's this little boy over here, he's, got, he's just got a small little meal for himself. Five loaves, two fishes. In my mind, for years and years and years, I always refer to that as almost like the little kid's happy meal. How are we going to feed thousands of people with a happy meal? He willingly gave that to the Lord. Jesus then prayed, blessed it, began breaking and giving his disciples, and then from there, the disciples gave to everyone else. They fed thousands of people and then, what was even more amazing than that? Twelve basketfuls of leftovers. The leftovers dwarfed the first-overs. It's amazing. God can do a lot with a little. And so, we look at our lives, we look at our finances, we look at our health, we look at our this, we look at our that, and we say, God, I don't really have much of anything. Are we willing to say, okay, I'm gonna offer you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give to you what it is that I do have. God's given into each of our hearts, into each of our lives, What, what what do we have? Like the widow, like the little boy, what we have might not be a whole lot, and we might not think it's very valuable. God, if I take a look at myself and, and what I have to offer to you, it certainly isn't quite as impressive as this person over here or this person over here, but, but God, I'm going to willingly offer myself to you. I'm going to offer what I have. I'm going to surrender it to you. God, you can take it. God, you can use it. And God, you can even multiply it. Little as much in his hands. Wouldn't, wouldn't you rather be placed in the hands of God, allow him to be using you, multiplying that and, and using you as he sees fit than to try to figure everything out on our own? So the widow was asking for help, offering what she had. Here's a third important step for us as we follow some of these principles. We must obey what God says. Uh Uh-oh. Obedience. Obeying. We're not real crazy about this particular part. When it comes to obeying God and doing what he says, many times we struggle. Now, again, she's obeying what God was saying through the prophet Elisha. But she obeys. And it's, it's amazing how many people, they want God to change their lives and, and come in and just radically do something in their lives, but they're not willing to obey what God asks them to do. God, I want you to move in my life, but I'm not going to obey what you've called me to. This woman obeyed, and she obeyed a rather strange instruction. Don't you think? She comes to the prophet, comes to Elisha to say, I've lost my husband. I've got a big debt. The creditor's coming. He's going to take my boys away. I don't really have anything but a little bit of oil. I'm thinking he's going to pray. I'm thinking he's going to send me home and there's going to be jar after jar of oil. I'm thinking he's going to send me home and you know, there's going to be this publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes in my mailbox. I mean... None of that. The prophet says what? <laughs> Go find a bunch of empty things. <laughs> you don't have much. Go find a bunch of things that are empty. Accumulate a whole bunch of empty. Take that tiny little jar of oil you do have and start pouring. Isn't that kind of unique? Isn't that a little out there? Look back in your life. God ever kind of nudged you with something that seemed a little out there, a little challenging, a little hard to believe, a little difficult to put into practice? God, I'm not so sure that I understand or quite believe how this is going to work. Collect empty jars and and then start filling? Why don't I just need one big jar? You said, Collect a bunch. Not just a few, but a whole bunch. And exactly how am I going to do this, God? How many of you are kind of detail-oriented people? The instruction is, go get a bunch of empty jars, shut the door behind you, and start pouring. All right, God. Exactly who do I go to? And when I go to my neighbors, how exactly do I ask them for some empty jars? I mean, what are they thinking? What am I going to say? Crazy Elisha wants me to ask for some jars for you. Or does does she have a little bit of faith to say, well, God's about to do a miracle, but I think. Can I have an empty jar? I mean, there's a lot of questions here, a lot of challenges, a, a pretty strange thing. Understand, Asking for God's help, that's good. Seeking his directions and instructions, that's better. But if we stop there, many times we, we don't see the miracle of God. She was faithful to call out and cry out. I need help, Elisha. Here's what's taking place. And then she heard what Elisha had to say. Go get a bunch of empty jars, close the door and start pouring then she needed to put it into practice to take that step of faith and obedience and literally do what God, through the prophet Elisha, asked her to do. Obey what God said. I think for you and I, we are to obey what God says even when it doesn't seem to make sense even when it might be kind of difficult to do. Because we're human, humans with human nature, right? And we like things a little easier. Let's not cut the corners. Let's not take the easy route. Let's wholeheartedly, fully obey what God says to do. There's other individuals who were asked to do something seemed kind of different, seemed kind of weird. Remember Naaman who had leprosy and, and he was brought to the prophet and instructed to wash and to dip seven times in the filthy Jordan River? I mean, why, why can't the prophet just kind of wave his hand over me and say, you're healed? That's a whole lot easier to put into practice. And besides, if if I was to dip seven times, why the dirty Jordan River? Why, why can't I go dip seven times in something that's clean? I mean, we're we're always questioning the instructions of God. It took him a little while. He did and was healed. How about Joshua, the Israelites, right? that mighty battle of Jericho, and the Lord has strategic instructions and directions. What was the mighty battle plan? March around the city. One time a day for six days. That's it. On the seventh day, you march around seven times, and when I give you the instructions, you blow the trumpet and you shout. And then what, God? And then I'm going to move. I'm going to work on your behalf. No battering ram, no tanks, no missiles, no machine guns. Walking around, blowing a trumpet and shouting. That's the plan. Sometimes what God asks us to do is rather strange. We don't always understand it. It's not what we would have chosen. It's not what we would have preferred. It's maybe not quite as easy as we would have hoped or liked. But God nudges and gives instructions, and he desires that we obey what he says. Reminds me of the man who told his pastor. He had this great plan, this this great burden. He was going to fly over to and visit Mount Sinai. His plan was to then climb to the very top of the mountain and read the Ten Commandments out loud from the top of Mount Sinai. I mean, this sounded like an incredible plan. The pastor wasn't very impressed. Well, he, he knew the man rather well. So he turns to this church member and he says, instead of traveling thousands of miles to the top of Mount Sinai, and reading the Ten Commandments, why don't you stay here at home and obey them? There's a thaw, right? See, it's one thing to call out and to cry out, help, help, help. It's another thing to, to seek instructions. It's, a, it's another thing to, you know, to come and, and to say, here's what I do have, and okay, God, it's yours. But then when God answers and gives an instruction to obey and to follow, many times we say, whoa, that's not what I was thinking, God. I got plan A, B, and C well over here. You could have picked any one of those and I'd be good, but your plan Q, your your plan over here, (laughs) I don't get that at all, God. (laughs) Not happening. The struggle is in doing and obeying what God calls us to do. This is a rather interesting, strange instruction but the scripture says that she did it. Verse 5, she left him, shut the door behind and her sons, she brought, they brought the jars and she kept pouring. She followed through with the challenge, getting as many jars as she could from all these friends and neighbors. As awkward and challenging and maybe taking the hit to the pride and the ego to go ask for help and ask for all these empty jars. She did, brought them home, shut the door. Her and her sons got this little process going and she began to pour. And it kept filling them up one by one. They set it to the side and set it to the side and set it to the side. She did absolutely Everything that God asked of her through the prophet Elisha. She did it to the T. She did it to the letter. And then in verse 7, she goes back to basically say, here's what's happened. It's, it's a miracle. Now what do I do next? And he gave the next set of instructions, right? Go sell the oil. Take that money. Pay off your debt. And then take what's left and be able to live on that, you and your boys. She was willing to do even what was strange or out of the ordinary if it meant obeying what God said. She was faithful to do her part. Now, God could have, and and again, this is our preference, God could have just supplied Elijah. Elijah could have said, go back home and... You're not even going to be able to get in your house. You're going to have jar after jar of full olive oil jars. Now go do that and sell everything. God could have miraculously or instantaneously provided for her need and maybe canceled the debt. But the instructions were to get the empty jars, fill it up, sell the oil, pay the debt, use what's left. Many times, again, God has a plan. God has a process. And sometimes he's desiring that you and I will take that first step of faith. It's challenging to take that first step, right? God God nudges us about something, and and it's almost like we're kind of hesitating. We we have that foot in the air. We're about ready to go forward. But then our mind thinks, well, what about this? (laughs) What about that? I'm sure this widow had a lot of questions. Still dealing with the grief of her loss. Still frightened at the potential of this massive debt hanging over her head. Her boys about getting ready to be ripped out from underneath her. All the despair that that would add up to. Now she's asked to do something pretty wild, pretty interesting. Was she going to take that first step? It might be kind of easy just to go back home and say, that's crazy, I am not doing that. And the boys maybe would be taken away by the creditor. It was a simple first step, but a challenging one to obey. I'm not sure what it is that God might be nudging you or I to do, but when God nudges, are we ready to obey what he says? Are, are we willing to take that step of faith, take that step of obedience, even if sometimes we're not quite sure how many more steps there are in the future? Oh, man, we want to know. Give me the exact GPS. How many steps, God? Is it five steps after the first one or a thousand? And God just simply says, take that first step. Obey. Obey what I have given to you. So, the question is, what might, what might God be asking you or I to do? Maybe, maybe God's been challenging you with something. Maybe you've been kind of wrestling with it, kind of kicking it around in your heart and your mind and struggling with that step of faith, that step of obedience. A phrase that many have said, Delayed obedience is essentially disobedience. God's desiring that we are obedient. When God calls us, when God challenges us, when God nudges us, He's wanting us to move in obedience. Are we willing to do what God is calling us to do? Strange, a little out of the ordinary, maybe different from our thoughts or our plans. When God speaks it, when God gives those instructions, let us follow, let us obey. So the widow was asking God for help. She was offering what little she did have. Took an important step of obedience to what God was instructing. And finally this morning, I believe we need to trust God to work. The widow was trusting God for her answer. She didn't quite know how it all fit together. All these puzzle pieces. How does this work? I'm supposed to get a whole bunch of empty jars. We're supposed to bring them back to the house. I'm supposed to start from my little jar. It it makes no sense that my little jar of oil is going to fill up all of these, but it's what God said. So I'm going to take that step of faith. I'm going to obey I'm going to go further. I'm going to trust that God's going to be faithful to do what he said he will do. And he is faithful. We've sung about it this morning. Forever he is faithful. You and I, we do our best to try to be faithful. You and I know we've all messed up at some point in time. We've disappointed somebody. We've given our word and maybe not been able to follow through. Not God. God is entirely, 100%, forever faithful. And so when God gives the instructions and we follow and obey, we can sit back and trust in him to do and to work and to move as he said he would do. Are we ready to, to trust and depend upon his strength and his provision and his guidance and his direction? Are we still going to kind of struggle for and clamor after all of what we can provide? I would rather rest and trust in his hands as opposed to mine. There's a little girl who accompanied her mother to the country store, old-time country store. After her mommy had made a purchase, the clerk behind the counter and invited the little girl to help herself to this little jar of candy. That little girl kind of held back and, and didn't respond. What's the matter, the clerk asked. Don't you like candy? As he pointed to that jar of candy. The little girl nodded and smiled. And In response, the clerk reached his hand into the jar and dropped a generous portion into the little girl's handbag. Afterwards, the mother asked her daughter why she had not taken the candy when the clerk had offered them to her. Here's the little girl's response. Because his hand was bigger than mine. Sometimes when it comes, we're saying, God, would you help? Would you help? But then we're trying to, we're trying to squeeze our hand into the jar and we're trying to, trying to make something happen. Rather than trust God to work, trust God's hand upon that jar of provision, in that jar of healing, in that jar of wisdom and guidance and direction. This widow had nowhere else to turn. She turned to and trusted in the mighty, powerful, miracle-working God. She asked for help. Offered what she had, obeyed what God said, and then trusted God to work. I believe if we desire to experience God's incredible provision, we would do well to follow the instructions, directions, and principles that we see in his word from this powerful widow woman.